Hi guys, this is Walt from Latama.net. You are listening to the Bladeology Podcast. Enjoy. into this like we do every week welcome to another episode of the bladeology podcast we are on this week with episode 41 we've bridged the gap we are on with our original host lineup and we're on with a guest this is the vocal representation of jeremiah burbank from pvk vegas nick Truperin of ncc knives elijah isham of isham blade works awesome and we're on with nate clark of automatic making fame. Nate, how are you this evening? I'm doing good. Awesome. I've I've been looking forward to this. We've been we've been arranging this. You've been mentioned in previous episodes. I love I love when somebody gets mentioned and then we have them on. It's like a follow-up part 2, but it's new. Um so let's jump into it. Nate, uh you're a knife maker. How how did you get there? How are we having this conversation? Tell tell us a little bit about that. Um where where did you get your start into knives? Well, um, my uh, I would say official start in knife making was uh, the day I met Rainy Valentin, and uh, I a uh, little bit foggy on the timeline exactly, but I was about fourteen or fifteen years old, um, working for a fellow um, down the road for me, doing some landscaping, summertime job, and. Uh, Happened to, uh, um, Rainey lived in the area, new to the area, um, lived on the same uh, subdivision, so to speak, and uh, he came by to show the guy I was working for um, a double action switchblade. Um, I believe it was one of the uh, original Fantel D&Ds, and, um, you know, being a teenage kid and having bought probably every single switchblade comb I'd ever seen, um, I was totally interested and, uh, um, you know, he fired that thing off a few times and it sounded like, I don't know, you know, every, every function, one of his original, uh, early on leaf spring double action automatics and they are monsters. Um, and, uh, I really, really wasn't too sure I wanted to handle it. It looked expensive and, um, out of my league but he insisted and um me and uh, the fellow i was working for i believe his name was dan and rainy standing around this coffee table and handed the rainy handed the knife over to me and i uh hmm, tentatively hit that button and whack that knife went flying out of my hands onto the coffee table and I wasn't sure if uh, I should be more concerned about the switchblade or the coffee table or whether I still had all my fingers or not. Um, but it was all good and uh, we had all good laugh about it. But from that moment on, I was hooked. Um, it was a far cry from a switchblade comb. And um, I, I immediately was wanting to know more about this, this rainy valentine and what it was all about this custom knife making um but i'm gonna rewind just a little bit um back to i'm gonna say that was probably that experience was uh sometime like over the summer of 1994 
Um, so that put me about eh, probably 14 or closer to 15 years old. Um, you know, I was born in July, so, you know, could have been one or the other. Um, but in 1993, um, I was, uh, I grew up on 16 acres, kind of out in the woods, middle of nowhere, not much to do, built a lot of forts, made a lot of spears and, you know, just different things like that. Um, just kind of, uh, um, you know, a woodsy kid and into knives of course because if i had a knife well then i could make a spear heck yeah uh, <laughs> that's the way to do um, it and uh i had uh been pretty bored over the summer of 1993 and left alone to my own at the home and decided that i was going to build a knife and um found an old file of my dad's out in the shop um, some deer horn, a couple of bolts, some glue, grabbed this plug-in drill, drill gun and some drill bits, pulled out the old stone wheel grinder, the electric stone wheel grinder, and proceeded to build myself the first knife I'd ever made. Oh, dang. Okay. All right. And, uh, I think I made two of those knives that summer and I gave them both away. Wish I hadn't really wish I had both those knives today. Um, but, uh, you know, so I had some materials and I had some basic tools and I really not even sure how I got the, the whole idea of how to do it and how to go from one end to the other. But maybe I had some pointers from my dad or, um, had thumbed through the gobs of mother earth magazines we had and got some kind of information, um, but was successful in that. And, um, so that was my first knife making experience. So I had this, you know, knowledge that I could do it. I could make a knife. I'd made a knife, you know, probably bragged about it a lot. Um, that counts, man. I mean, yeah. doing, doing something like that, like a project. I mean, that's that I, I still enjoy the small things like that till this day. I mean, anytime you sit down and do a project and then you say, this is what I want to do. And then you complete it. I mean, that's a huge amount of just, anybody in any time frame it's a it's a confidence booster you're like i actually did that yep yep you know? it, it brings that it in brings that form. confidence yep in any form so um and you know a little bit more uh just history on how i was i was really kind of a, a self-starter um you know i i really enjoyed gathering information and learning how to do something applying it um i i think i learned a lot better on my own than being taught, um, you know, using my own hands, figuring out, running into a problem, solving the problem. And, um, you know, one of the other things that I was doing around that time, um, in high school was, um, you know, I had shop class. Of course I took every shop class I could, you know, Oh, I can need an elective. All right. I'll take shop class three times, three times today. Um, you know, so, you know, it's like sometimes I'm woodworking and we got to follow along. Well, I, I had enough job classes out there. I was doing all the programs and I ended up having an extra one where, you know, my instructor just said, it's kind of a free for all. Like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, what do you got? And he's like, well, I got this AutoCAD program. Nobody knows how to use it. Oh, well, that sounds like a challenge. And he's like, I have these CNCs, like a CNC mill, CNC lathe. 
they were donated to the high school and we haven't figured out how to make them work yet. You know, maybe, you know, I'll give you an A if you can figure out how to make something on a CNC. Design it in AutoCAD. Run a CNC machine. So I put my mind to it. Um, kind of got another guy involved. It was one of my friends. He was pretty uh, computer savvy. He was building his own computers from, from the computer magazines at that point. I'd actually uh, bought my first computer through him and he helped me put it together. Um, and so him and I would kind of put our heads together and came up with some projects and some ideas and we're just messing around this AutoCAD program. Oh, what does that button do? What does that button do? You know, we just had an hour and a half pretty much every single day to, to learn and, uh, did some successful little CNC projects. Um, you know, designed like a belt buckle and had it milled out and learned a little bit about, you know, um, DXF files and, you know, the whole programming language and this and that and the other and how to have a start point and go from there and uh so you know i had some cad cad a little bit of autocad experience i had a little bit of knife making experience and i meet this knife maker and uh you know i i i think you know i ended up figuring out a way to weasel my way into rainy valentin's life he had three boys Three boys, his youngest was, I think, two or three at the time, and a couple of uh, older kids, uh, uh, maybe five and seven, something like that. Um, I'll babysit your kids for you. <laughs> that works, man. You guys want to go out and do something? Yeah, I'll babysit your kids for you. And uh, But one of these days, you gotta you got to take me up to that knife shop. Show me what you're doing. So uh, I'm sure he uh, took full advantage of that babysitting for quite a bit, and uh, before before I got it, got an introduction to the knife shop. But uh, um, so let's see. Um, that's you know that's a great way of getting in there too. You know, you saw something and you were just like, whatever, whatever it takes. I want to do this. Yep. I think at the time he was he was still he was kind of transitioning. He was his his dad had moved up from California to retire Butch Valentin, um, and you know retire as a knife maker, I believe. And um, nonsense. Was, what was great is that retiring as a knife maker. Yeah, that's uh, that's the way that all knife makers retire and they just keep making things forever, basically. And that's my dream to yeah. be perfectly honest there too. You go. Is, uh, I was I was a full-time knife maker for 15 years roughly and uh or you know roughly and I'm I can't wait to get back to being a full-time knife maker cuz to me that is going to be retirement. Yeah. And if I make knives until I'm 90 years old, I'll be happy. There you go. Nice um, surprise. Yeah, yep. So, but life has a way of uh, getting a hold of you and dragging you off on different little avenues and this and that and the other. So, it's um, always trying to distract you. It, it certainly is, and it's done a good job with me. Um, so I was going to refer to my <laughs> my outline here. Um, so it's kind of like ninety three, ninety four. Um, dabbled a little bit in knives, a little bit in AutoCAD. Met Rainey, saw my first real switchblade. Um, and, uh, you know, picked up a few other jobs. I think I worked, uh, for almost a year, um, like after school at the uh, Yonkal food center. And that's where this little town I went to high school, grade school and high school in was Yonkala, Oregon. Um, I ended up 
you know, as I said, babysitting for Rainy for a bit. And um, I can remember, you know, asking, well, you guys got any work up at the shop? Is there anything to do? And um, and I think that they they needed some wood split and stacked because they heated their shop with firewood. And I'm like, oh, I, I know how to do that. My dad's been having me do that for years. I got you. Yeah, I got lots of experience there. So Especially um, living in Oregon. Yeah, so that's... That's really how I got my foot in. And then, you know, it was some sweeping the shop, maybe cutting some parts. Um, worked my way into doing some hand sanding. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if you any of you guys have any experience with making knives, but hand sanding is the one thing you love to find somebody else to do for you. Um, oh, yeah. That's what I got my dad for. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, but... Uh, I was I was still messing around with the AutoCAD and starting to learn how to build knives. Um, I think uh, so. Now at this time, you were you were in the Valentin shop, and so who is so we've got Rainy. Um, is is Butch around? Is is yeah. Brandon around? So who, who's in there? So this was um, this was in red hill red hill oregon and it was uh the shop was located it was butch's shop it was located on his property um you know like 150 feet 100 or 150 yards right up above his house um sean was living there at the time and working um he had his workbench and butch had his workbench and rainy had his workbench and um uh somewhere i believe in 94 95 i think rainy went full-time um building knives and um so they were all together and uh what i refer to as switch family valentin um they were a switch blade making family um rainy and sean's sister rana was running a uh, knife making supply business with her mom butch's wife and it was a family affair and um at this point the the rainy's kids weren't they weren't old enough to be building knives in the shop they're still pretty young um you know going to school and doing kid stuff and um so it was uh it was kind of a slow progression of you know me just going up on weekends doing odds and ends and you know really just showing that interest and in, and in being tenacious about getting in that shop and well what can i do next and i made i cut a lot of parts um cut a lot of parts on my body like my fingers using them band saws and such um you know progress to profiling parts drilling holes eventually assembling chassis um, and then hand sanding, hand sanding, hand sanding. So just getting in um, there with, with the, with the basics, getting in there with the basics. And I put my time in for sure. Um, so, uh, I think, uh, let's see, I had a couple of little side jaunts. Um, the buddy in high school that I had done AutoCAD with him and I had, uh, uh, in July and August of 1995, we both went in and applied for a job at Magnus Machine Company in Drain, Oregon, which is about a few miles north of uh, Yonkala. And uh, it was a 
primarily CNC machine shop. And we had that interest in high school and we wanted to take it to the next level, see what was going on. And, you know, I started in there sweeping floors and, and, um, you know, cleaning parts, deburring stuff. Um, they had a three spindle CNC machine, CNC, uh, mill that they were, um, using to cut the word, the letters, um, for Titleist golf club base plates made out of titanium three at a time into, um, you know, they had just these little titanium cut shapes and they would mill out Titleist, blah, 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 whatever. And, you know, you'd run three, back off three screws, pull the parts, toss them in the bin, load up three more, tighten down the screws. And that was, that was one machine thing that I did. I never, that was, I think that was the only CNC type thing I actually got to do there because their other big CNCs were, you know, they were, they were also making parts for airplanes and spaceships and different things like that, that they had on contract from the federal government. So they weren't about to let high school kids run a couple of them machines, but I got to work on some tireless base, you know, tireless, uh, golf club base plates and, you know, load the parts, run the, push the button, pull the parts, clean them up, you know, and, you know, in between things, we got to see a lot of cool stuff done on, you know, big, um, tool changing CNC machines that, you know, had major programs, um, getting to see some of the G codes and things going behind that. And, um, so it was just a good experience. Um, however, other than some stuff that I did for the Valentins, that's really as far as I, you know, and some things that I did for myself, but, um, it's as far as I got into the AutoCAD and CNC world of things. Um, but the experience and the knowledge did come into play in the Valentin shop. Um, with, uh, with the experience that I excelled at, I, um, lended that skill in the early years of the Valentin when they made a CNC tech jump and, um, basically, um, Butch or Rainey or, you know, a combination or collaboration of the two and Sean, um, they would design a prototype. Um, and then we would sit down um, I can remember just sitting with Butch in front of the computer. I had a AutoCAD program. Um, I think it was one I got from Matt Diskin early on, actually. <laughs> that um, right. Probably pirated from someplace. Nice. <laughs> and um, we would take his knife apart, and he'd sit there with his calipers, and, and we'd use like the, the pivot hole as a center point. And I'd draw the pivot hole on the AutoCAD screen, and then he'd he'd call out a number it's this far over here and we would basically reverse engineer that prototype into AutoCAD later being able to make it into a DXF file for um, water jet cutters to cut some parts um, and that I believe um, looking here um, I think that, uh, oh, yeah, here, November of 96, um, I helped engineer the prototype in AutoCAD for Soldier Fortune 9. Oh, okay. All right, right. 
And um, then, of course, there was the Sidewinder 2 project. So, but... Um, so, I mean, you were there, you were there at the inception and the transition from just total manual shop into a tech-oriented CNC um, yeah. driven shop. And I mean, you were, so you were working side by side uh, with Butch and with Rainey, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I wasn't, I remember tapping some holes in the parts. I was there when they had some parts cut at CNC. I can't remember the name of the company, but we had found a, a place up in Eugene that had a large water jet cutting machine and um, they would, Butch and Rainey would order like these sheets of, you know, like four by eight sheets of titanium and gigantic six by eight foot long pieces of steel. And we'd haul them up there. And, and you know, was, of course it was straight, right? All the steel and tiles completely flat. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, <laughs> the, well, not completely. Okay. I'll, I'll take that back. Some, uh, there, there was, there was some, mm-hmm. there was, running the parts through the vise and eyeballing down them and straightening out some liners and some of that for sure. Um, uh, a lot of surface grinding and, 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 you know, prepping of the parts, but, um, basically they were able to, um, you know, with my help making those files, they were able to have parts for their project. We're talking liners, blades, backsprings, CNC water jet cut, um, holes blown in them. Of course, water jet, it goes in small and blows out large on the backside. So you still have to drill every hole, um, you know, chase it with the right size drill bit, tap them. Um, and then there's a, what they call a kerf. So when you assemble the chassis, um, your liners and your spacer don't quite line up. You still have to do a profile but you basically profile until it all smooths into one surface and then you're good to go. So it's like you have a very obvious stopping point. But all of that was compensated for by the water jet cutter so that the finished product was, you know, basically what we had designed the knife to be the shape of and the size and the tolerances. So um, it was uh, it was really fun and a huge honor to be part of that because I viewed it as this is something I I'm able to do and give back to these people who were had their doors open and taught me. And, um, I think, you know, the, I think over the years they'd tried to have some apprentices and, um, uh, or people who come in, I mean, they had a lot of guests. They were, if somebody called up and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm aspiring knife maker. I've been tooling around in my shop, but I, you know, could use some pointers. They'd be like, come on up. Um, and I remember a lot of people in and out of the shop, you know, come hang out for a weekend or some people would bring their tents and camp for a week and they would get pointers and start to finish help on a knife. And, and then they were able to take that, you know, the knowledge that they, that the Valentins imparted into them and, you know, be a better, more successful knife maker. That's awesome. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's good to have a, an environment like that. It's so cool to have people who are so free with knowledge. You know, I mean, knife making is, is one of those things that uh, sort of develops in a weird way for everybody differently. So it's, it's nice yeah. when somebody's at that point where they need help and they're 
they're okay with asking for help and someone's there to answer that call and say, yeah, absolutely. Like whatever, whatever we can do, we can help. Well, that, that, uh, that state of mind instilled in me the same type of state of mind. It's like, I wanted to learn from them. And in turn, I wanted to pass that gift on that knowledge on, um, I've had two apprentices in my, my career. Um, and you know, that's, that's been my, that's been my, uh, you know, giving back to that, that system. I mean, uh, the making of a knife is an age old craft that has, you know, for centuries and centuries been developing and passed on from person to person. And, um, I'm, you know, I have felt I've done my part in that and I will continue to and look forward to. And, um, you know, right now I'm between shops, um, working on getting my shop at home, which has been a lifelong dream to have my shop at home to where it's like, I've always had a shop away from home. So if I want to go work on knives, I got to leave the house and go do it. And, you know, it's not always worked out well with family dynamics and all that. So, um, at, at the moment I'm partway through constructing what is basically a, uh, I've taken all my years of knowledge and have decided this is how many square feet I need for my knife shop. I have all my own tools um, to build knives from start to finish without having to outsource any kind of, uh, any of the parts or any of the process. And, um, I've designed a space where I can pack all that stuff in. It's super efficient, least amount of steps from workbench to equipment. And I'm in the process of building and putting that together. Um, I have been on a, about a five year break, um, which started with some health issues. Um, it primarily, uh, the catalyst was, um, I was doing too much. I was working a full-time job. I was building knives. I was working another part-time job doing landscaping and just burning the candle at both ends. And, uh, my lack of, uh, focus on my own health ended up putting me in the hospital for a little bit. And, uh, it was an eye opener. And I said, well, something has to Something has to go. I got to scale this down a bit. Yeah, that's, um, I thought I was getting close to that last year. I, I was Jerry and Elijah. No, I, I would skip out on sleep at least once a week, almost every other week. I didn't go out. Oh, yeah. I skipped out on sleep at least once every other week, if not every, every week last year. Mm-hmm. And it got to a certain point where I was like, I just wasn't myself. I wasn't thinking clearly. Yeah. And I was like, uh, COVID yeah, kind of helped me figure that out. And, Getting catch I was up on sleep. Thinking about this earlier, it Same catches thing, up with you. Thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was quite literally sleeping five, maybe six hours a night. I was working seven days a week, and and you know, working a full time job, still putting twenty to thirty hours into the shop, and somehow managing to go and work for this fella, and you know, keep his forty uh, acre ranch going for him because he was getting you know too old to do it himself, and. Uh, I was, I, you know, making a ton of money doing it, but, uh, didn't have any time to enjoy it. And, um, you know, ultimately it was, uh, 
it was unsustainable. So, you know, I figured oh, I'll take a year or two off and now it's been five years and it's really, uh, the itch is there. It's, I, I've got to get this thing back up and going. And, um, the longer honestly, you put it off, the harder it will be. Yes. And that's what I'm feeling. Um, for sure. It's like, Oh, there's always something else. There's always something else, but it's like right now I'm really on that cusp of it is going to be the focus of my fall and winter season here and 2021 is going to be my resurgence year. So, um, I, uh, this, this, uh, this offer for the podcast is kind of one of those things where the universe is saying it's time, Nate, and we're going to give you this opportunity and you, you need to follow through and do this and you need to put that message out there and you need to make this, uh, make this your goal. And, um, not just a someday long-term goal, but a very soon short-term goal. So well, that's um, good. Sometimes things align like that. Yeah. And it kind of, yep. it kind of jolts you, right? Absolutely. You know, and here I am, I'm putting, uh, you know, I'm putting the words out on the wave and that's now, it. now I'm obligated because <laughs> I, I still, after five years of not building a knife, I still have people going, when are you going to get back into it? I'm ready for another knife. Like, you know, I've been I've been playing with my Nate Clark collection and I need something new in there. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. So the 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 desire, the 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 following, um, it's out there and and the the art itself, the effort, the task itself is is calling to me as well because it's it's a uh it's <sighs> when I got into knife making, I was like, this is what I was meant to do. Um, and I've always felt that. And yeah, I have other things to do in my life, other things I can do and, and skills, but this is what I'm meant to do. This is what fulfills my spirit. So, I mean, sometimes it's just that, and, and it's, and it's honestly, it's, it's a lucky position to be that person in life where you do see that thing and it becomes very clear and you're like, that's what makes me really happy. You know, yeah. that's, that's, that's a gift, you know, and, and it, you, like you said, you might need to take a break from it or come and go, but it's always, it's always there, you know? Yeah. Yep. It really is. It could be um, multiple things. You never know. I always well, it can be. I mean, I've, I've got other passions in my life. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, knife making, um, I really, I feel super lucky to have had met Rainey at the time in my life when I met Rainey. He, um, I mean, he's the man. He's the man who taught me how to fish bass out of the Umpqua River, and he's the man who taught me how to build a knife. So, in essence, Rainey Valentin taught me how to feed myself and make a living. There you go. And this is all before I was 18 years old. Right. And I'm still fishing bass out of the Umpqua River. <laughs> And I'm still a knife maker. I'm just not actively practicing it. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's really, I look back on it and I think, man, how lucky I was. I mean, I was just some kid, um, not really knowing. I mean, quite honestly, before I met Rainey and got into the knives, I was, uh, I was on track to going to Arizona tech, um, to do AutoCAD design. Um, I was thinking probably, you know, um, 
buildings, homes, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I have a passion for, for houses and construction. Um, which is another one of the things that I've, I've done with my life as far as work goes. Um, but, uh, when, when I started building knives while I was still in high school, um, I realized the satisfaction it gave me, um, and the, I'm not really sure how to put it into words, but to be a knife maker and to make a knife and to go and show somebody like my friends, my dad and say, Hey, this is what I built. And the, like the awe, the admiration that you get for that is really satisfying. It's almost, it's almost more, more of a satisfaction than getting paid for the knife. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, at this point in my life, I built over 1500 knives and, um, those knives will be in this world long after me. And it's, it's my legacy. So I, I graduated high school, June 10th of 1996. I was, uh, 17 years old, turned 18 about a month later. And, um, at that point I made the decision, I'm going to be a knife maker. I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to give this knife making thing a shot. And, um, it's probably a smart decision. Uh, sorry to everybody that went to college. <laughs> well, and, and I would agree because, biased. uh, I, had I gone to college, I would have been throwing myself to the whim of, of the world, the, the, you know, getting a degree, lining myself up with debt and crossing my fingers and hoping I found a job upon graduation. And I would have had to go wherever that employer needed me to go. And I would not have had freedom of choice. Um, being a knife maker, being self-employed straight out of high school was, uh, in retrospect, such an awesome gift and honor and unique experience um that you know i look back on it i mean as i really was a lucky fellow um so in um august of 1996 so shortly after i graduated um i had made that decision i'm going to be a knife maker and had the discussion with rainy and um became employed with rainy at a 30 to 50 percent cut of each knife that i was working on with him at that point he had the confidence in me and my abilities to know what i could do for him with the knives to know that he could set me up with a knife order that he had taken and i could do my part and he could do his part and he could give me a cut oh wow that's legit it's really i mean i would imagine it's really hard to get a start in knife making without some kind of of, of help and mentor um and I could not have done it on my own with a stone grinder and a handheld drill gun and glue and horn and, and, uh, files. I mean, that would have been, that would have been a rough knife career right there. Um, so, I mean, I had basically, basically I had a shoe and apprenticeship under the Valentins. Um, I was Rainey's apprentice. Um, worked on his knives. Um, yes, I, you know, I helped, I cleaned the shop. I mean, I was one of those guys I'd, I'd show up Saturday morning, 
at you know seven thirty, eight o'clock and sweep and clean and take out the garbage and build the fire so when everybody else came in the place was warm and clean and you know just this is my appreciation for this experience and um but that first month working with rainy august of 1996 i helped him build four knives mm. i made 936 dollars and i was like i can do this i can i got this yeah so um in september of 96 um i helped build seven shrikes one of his uh one of rainy's designs and i made two thousand one hundred and fifty dollars mm. And I was like, all right, this is a career. I can tell my dad about this. And I, and I, I think I might have made more money than my dad that month. Um, That's legit. Yeah. Yep. Why not? Um, November of 96, um, I helped reverse engineer the prototype in AutoCAD for the Soldier of Fortune. Um, maybe helped do some tapping and a few other things. But that was a Valentin father and son project. Um pretty sure that was their i can't quote me on this but i'm pretty sure that was their first las vegas sof project that they brought down to las vegas and sold and of course if you know about soldier of fortune that was a, a multi-year progressive project that they did and and it was it was quite successful um but not really something that i was involved in other than just you know some background stuff um Moving on into 1997, um, in May, uh, Rainey designed and uh, made the first Sidewinder 2 prototype. Um, if you guys are familiar with that, or if you're not, it was a kind of a basic model. Um, Scotch-Brite satin belt finished stainless steel blade, um, micarta handled, um, scale release. Um, and by July, uh 24th and 97 the sidewinder project um sidewinder 2 project um which was a numbered limited edition it was off to a good start um i was making good money off that project by september of that year um pulling in a solid 50 percent cut um basically that was another AutoCAD designed project. The first 10, I think I cut by hand and assembled. Um, Rainy got the money together to finance water jet cutting parts. I think pretty sure we started with 25 or 50 parts uh, or 50 parts for 25 or 50 knives and um, just kept rolling some of those profits over into more and more parts. And um, uh, I was primarily doing most of the work um there was um function stuff Rainy would do he'd grind all the blades but i was doing as much as i could for him um i had one of those i had a roll around cart with one of those containers with all the drawers in them with like 50 drawers and i would push that thing over to one machine and do something 50 times push it over to the mill do 50 mill outs push it over to the flat disc do 50 flat you know flatting off 50 knives, you know, just production style. Um, and Rainy would be sitting on the phone selling them. And uh, I think, you know, depending on dealer, retail, they were going from like 275 to 375 per knife. And um, I was between the two of us, we were like cranking out 10 to 20 a month. Um, 
uh i mean that's like that's something i mean i don't know adjusted for inflation i'm sure it'd be a bit different but uh that's an amazing deal (laughs) we made a lot of money we made a lot of money i know how much i made because i kept track i have no idea how much rainy made but it was probably four times as much um uh, in December 1997, I designed and sold my first knife, which I called the MFK, standing for my first knife. I sold that cool. knife. Yeah, yeah. I sold that knife to Jim Walker for 450 bucks. Jim Walker was a Valentin customer who saw the saw the potential and value in this up and coming knife maker, Nate Clark, and bought his first knife. Nice guy. Still remembers. Still remember the way he, how he looked, and he's just one of those guys. He was always happy, had a good smile, and uh, I was super excited about that sale. Um, of course, I had to work on that knife after hours. I think we were uh, the Valentins had moved from their shop on Butch's property. They had rented a shop in Sutherland, Oregon, in an industrial building complex, and. Um, bought Bridgeport mills and more equipment and kind of were trying to set up to expand. Um, eventually Butch built a new shop back at his property that was bigger and able to, uh, house all the equipment and stuff. So, um, you know, the overhead of renting the shop and the mon- mundaneness of having to drive to work and come back was, uh, probably a huge motivation in that. But, um, I, uh, I also made, I think, uh, let's see, this is December of 1997. I made, uh, $5,200 just from building sidewinders with rainy and I was, uh, 18 years old. Um, so I was hooked. I was hooked. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I bought myself a 1978 Scottsdale Chevy pickup truck with an overboard four. 494 motor in it and jacked up 33 inch tires i could roast all four of them four wheel drive i was having the time of my life dude at 18 you're just like Four-on building switchblades like balling yeah 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 yep. um so my 1997 totals i like to do totals i love keep records um i helped build 85 knives 36 of those were sidewinder twos i made about eighteen thousand five hundred dollars that year damn and uh is the irs listening no, no hopefully does it not. matter <laughs> i don't Fuck think I, I i'm pretty sure rainy paid the taxes on that for me sure we're out of the statute statute of limitations on that yeah there you go yeah actually we are you're you're right about that but you never know um so you know i was having a good time i was making cash i was living life i was single i think maybe i had a girlfriend probably with that much money i i dumped her she dumped me who knows um, <laughs> so, um, you know, it was, I, I was off to a start. I made my decision. I'm, I'm going to be a knife maker. Um, and I'm doing it and, uh, I'm making money. I built my I design and built my first knife, sold it. Um, so now we're moving to 1998. Um, you know, I'm, I'm out in the workforce now, um, on my own. I think I ended up sometime in that year, I moved out of my parents' house, running an apartment with a buddy and uh, somewhere around Sutherland. And uh, I'm averaging like $2,000 a month on the Sidewinder project. I'm promoting my MFK designs. I'm selling one or so a month. Um, of course, we're doing the 
OKCA knife show in Eugene in April every year, um, which at that time in 1998, it was for switchblade makers and a lot of other knife makers, but definitely for the Ballatin family, it was a sellout show. Definitely, if yeah. you could bring $10,000 in knives to that show, you could sell $10,000 in knives to that show. And I'm going to tell you right now, from my experience and my perspective, a lot of that had to do with the Ballatins because they would call people up and they'd say, hey, you guys need to come out here. We will book you a room. We will find you a place to stay. Come out, do the show, spend $25 and get an OKCA membership. And it's a three-day show for you. That means you come in on Friday on table setup day and you get first pick of everything. Flying in knife, knife dealers, purveyors, buyers, collectors from all over the United States and sometimes all over the world. Um, and, you know, they, they were well-known at that time for always doing a day-after party at the Valentin shop. And, you know, they would do a big old barbecue and they'd have all these people the day after the show come down to their place, usually on a Monday. And, you know, it was just like uh, rubbing elbows with everybody and, of course, more knife dealing and selling and whatever. And um, it was a big thing. It was a lot of fun to be part of that. Of course, I was, you know, I was a quiet, meek, quiet, you know, kind of, you know, kid hanging in the shadows in the background and didn't quite take advantage of that situation as much as I could have, but it was, uh, it was a wonderful thing to be part of at that time. So now those Eugene shows were, would you, or were you at that time, maybe we're, we're working up to it. Were you selling knives at that show? Other, other than the Valentins, were you selling your, my first knife design at the Eugene show? Um, I believe that, uh, at that point, um, I probably at least had one of my MFKs. I mean, I was pretty loyal to Rainey. I worked 40 hours for Rainey. And, you know, I remember the Sutherland knife shop, everybody would clear out around five o'clock and I'd be there till seven working those extra two hours on my own projects. Um, so I believe that I, I don't have my, my books in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I sold a, sold at least one MFK at that show in 1998 to somebody. Um, Bud Angelo, that name keeps coming to mind, keeps coming to mind. He was, he was, uh, um, another valet knife purchaser and, um, I'd sold quite a few knives to him over the years as well. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, the other big show at that time, um, you know, they're doing the Las Vegas soldier fortune show with their SOFs and, uh, I can remember Rainey and Butch were doing the um, Atlanta, Georgia show in June. Um, and that was a sellout show for Rainey, too. I mean, he, I'm not sure, but at that time in 98, he may have sold 50 Sidewinder 2s there. Um, and, of course, Butch, he always sold everything he brought. Um, so in 98, my year in totals, I helped build 229 knives. 214 of those were Sidewinder 2s. Um, of course, I was helping Rainey build a variety of other custom knives, you know, as uh, D&Ds and um, ice picks. And um, I don't know, he had a strikes, a few others I can't remember the names of. So, um, you know, probably five or six of those were my own customs. And I, you know, did... Um, you know, 10 or so of his customs, but I was 
just rocking the Sidewinder 2 projects. Um, I made $24,000 in 1998. That Worked is, a total. That's not bad. Cash? No, it's not. And it was cash. Worked a total of 1,729 hours. That's not quite full time. Um, that's, that's an average of 144 hours a month. I'm working 160 hours a month now plus, and I, I mean, obviously I'm making a bit more than that, but, um, getting taxed on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So life was good at that point. Life right. was good. Less expenses then too. Yeah. A lot less expenses. Right. So, um, I think, uh, so what, that was 98. That was 98. Yep. Man. Wrapping okay. up 1998. So, um, 1999 was a different year though. Um, the Valentins moved their shop back home. As I said, Butch had built a nice big two story shop on the property, a lot closer to his house, not 150 yards up the hill. Um, and for whatever reason, still to this day, I'm still not quite sure, but I decided it was time for me to be my own custom maker and step out on my own. Um, I did move into Oakland with Rainey's brother, Sean. We rented a house together. Um, we worked on a project together called The Squeeze, which was a uh, left-hand made scale release, basically. Um, and we built a lot of those in a left-hand action for, for lefties. Sean was a left-handed knife maker left-handed guy. Um, so we did a little project together. Um, you know, my, my life slowed down a bit. I was rather than making 30 or 40 knives a month, I was making 10 or so, um, focusing on, you know, developing more designs, um, creating my own customer base, selling my own knives. Um, and, uh, started buying my own shop tools, putting things together. Um, and that was the year I took on my first apprentice. Oh, wow. Shit. Okay. Um, Vincent Moore happened to be, uh, a guy that I knew from high school. Um, he had impressed me in high school. We got along really well. Um, he was like me, kind of a self starter, um, and, um, self motivated. And, um, eventually I ended up moving my shop from Oakland and to his dad's property, rented a small shop space that had a loft above it. And that's where I lived for a while, um, rented the shop and the loft. And, uh, I think I was paying $200 a month plus a hundred dollars for utilities and, uh, teaching Vince how to make knives, having him do all the hand sanding <laughs> that, he, that he could handle. And, uh, um, um, started my own, started my own business. Like it was Nate Clark knives paying taxes. Wow. So, I mean, that was, Born that was it. Just, yeah. You just, you just were like, you know what? It's time. Go do business with the government. Yeah. You yep. just, you stepped out, man. That's, that's legit. I, I, I think I, stepped, yeah. Yeah, I think I had something to prove to my my dad or something, you know, like, you know, I I, just, I got this and, you know, it's I'm self-employed and and I'm being successful. Um 
And, you know, I remember he was proud of that. Um, but, uh, I do look back on it and go, man, I really walked away from a pretty awesome opportunity. Had I, I stayed with the Valentins and continued doing what I was doing it. Um, <clears throat> it was definitely a fork in the road, <clears throat> but, um, in October of 1999, Chuck Carron, uh, he was a writer of a monthly column and tactical knives called make mine automatic. He featured me, featured me as an auto knife maker prodigy. And the orders started to flow in. Bam. Yeah. There we go. So my 1999 year in totals, I built 46 custom knives of my own. Worked about 1,575 hours and made myself $16,200. Nice. Of course, I had to give Uncle Sam his cut. Sure. Um, but I was successful. I was out on my own. I was successful. I was passing on my skills to someone else and um, living the dream. Yeah, something about that amount of money. It's it's a different feeling. I w- I would admit you t- you you t- yeah you tell me, but I mean it's that it's that amount of money that I mean you got it yourself. Like you didn't have to ask somebody else to get paid. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I uh, I was uh, I think I designed five new knife designs that year, and um. You know, some of my customers, of course, were people that I met in the Valentin circles. But, you know, I was also um, using uh, a little bit of social media and um, whatever resources I had to, you know, advertise as I could. And I think I I paid for an ad in the back of Tactical Knives um, and then as well as getting that... Uh, you know, when did I say that was? It was late in the year, I believe, but October. Uh, yeah, October. So towards the end of the year, having that article was like kind of one of those things. It was, uh, I I probably had 100 phone calls in two weeks and probably had 50 orders, um, which, you know, making 46 knives a year, that's a year's worth of work. Gotta take a short break. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I was I was just gonna And when we when we come back, we're gonna start with Y2K. And that concludes another episode of the Bladeology podcast. Again, this week we were talking to Nate Clark of Nate Clark Knives. That was part one. Please stay tuned for part two.